Father, we thank you, O oh God, for this day, for your many blessings, for how you've blessed us, for how you've kept us, O oh God. We're thankful and we're grateful for the opportunity to just be able to come together, to worship, to gather. Lord, sometimes we take those things for granted, amen. But God, we're sorry, O oh God, for taking this, this opportunity for granted, God. In other countries, they have to hide and they have to sneak in order to worship you, in order to learn of you. But we can come freely, oh God, to receive, to gather. And for that, we give you thanks on today. My prayer today is always is that your word falls on good ground and produces fruit in the hearts and in the minds of your people. That change will take place and that when people see our lives, they'll come running saying, what must I do to be saved? Come on and bless the Lord for the word. Amen. Amen. I don't know why my computer keep freezing up. I keep going black. All right. So y'all know I, I really just started wearing glasses and then I got two pair and then I lost both of them and then I didn't wear them for a long time, but I can't really see without them. So I got my notebook and I got my computer because I can't really see with either one of them. So I'm going to see which one worked better. Amen. Amen. So last week, Pastor and I spoke together about not quitting, not giving up. I shared several testimonies about things that I wanted to quit on, like my marriage, my family, ministry, my career. I even wanted to quit on being a mother. How do you do that? How do you quit on being a mother? You just stop caring. After the death of my first son, I, I didn't want to be a mother anymore. I went through a serious bout of depression. And so, I, yeah, I wanted to quit on being a mother. Because I felt like maybe there was something that I was doing wrong that I didn't need any children. And so what I noticed was that it's a lot easier to share the things that you've quit on when you really didn't quit. You just thought about quitting. Versus the thing that you really did quit on. After all, as children, we heard this saying when we were little. Winners never quit. And quitters never win. How many of y'all heard that? How many of y'all, that's a lie. We, we need to forget that. Because when I thought about that thing, I could see how this statement could put a false identity on us, even as a child. It will make you think because you quit something one time that you're a loser because quitters never win. So the opposite of being a winner is a loser. So at a young age, if you adopt that mentality that quitters never win and winners never quit, you automatically adopt the false identity that you are a loser. This, in a sense, is a false identity. Amen? Because I don't see anywhere in the word of God that it tells us or refers to us as losers. So I just want you to stop and just look at your neighbor really quick and tell them, I am who God says I am. Because, see, we're going to debunk this false identity today because we've taken on many of names that are not what God says that we are. He says we're, head, we're the head and not the tail. He says that we're a lender and not a borrower. He says that we're above and not beneath. So we need to take on the mind of Christ and call ourselves who God calls us. Amen? So prior to last week, Pastor had been dealing in this series, and it was called Healthy Habits for the last six weeks. And I'm going to be honest. I feel like um, Sister Jessica and Sister Jamie, when they were doing the Empower Me podcast, I ain't really want to hear it. Why I ain't want to hear it? Because it was a tough pill for me to swallow. Although I know I needed that word, 
Although I believed everything that he said, and although I found myself in the word every single week, I realized that that series was hard for me because this was the area in which I had quit multiple times in my life. The area that I really felt defeated. For you, it may not be that area. It may not be your health and fitness. You may have that down pat. It could be you feel defeated in your finances. Every time, you, every time something happens, every time you get a little money in the savings account, something happens and you have to spend it. Some of you might be defeated in your marriage. We tried counseling, it just ain't going to work. Some of you may be defeated as a parent like I was. You know how you're telling them what's right and you, you're telling them what to do and you're telling them what's right and you really don't want no harm to come upon them, but they just won't listen. You know, they're just hard-headed. And so like, it's like they think you're out to get them, but you're really not out to get them. And so some of you may be feeling defeated in your parenting because you've done all you know to do. But one thing I know about the word, the word says, after you've done all you can, stand therefore. Amen. And so you may be defeated in your spiritual walk. It's like you don't hear from God anymore. You don't understand what you read. You, 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 it's like you're off. You're not praying. It's like God isn't hearing you. You may feel defeated in your career, not happy with what you're doing. And you may even feel defeated with certain goals that you have yet to achieve. But for me, when it comes to my health and wellness, I seem to have become a habitual quitter. And Facebook reminds me that I'm a habitual quitter often. How does it remind me? You know, you hit, click that little memories button, and then I see, oh, I was doing Weight Watchers in this year, and I had lost 40 pounds. And then them 40 pounds came back. Oh, I did Weight Watchers again. And, and Facebook reminded me. Then, oh, I did Omni. I lost all that weight. I was meal prepping. I was doing good. Oh, here I am. I'm walking. Facebook showed me I was walking. I was getting them steps in, reaching my goal, 10,000 steps every week. Facebook remind me that I was a habitual quitter when it came to taking care of my body, my health, and my fitness. Every time I say I'm not going to put no more sugar in my body, I literally went eight months one time without eating any sugar at all. Eight months. Lost almost 60 pounds. But as soon as I started putting that sugar back in my body, it came back. Habitual quitter. I got in my seat right there, I got like 12 cookies, some cupcakes. My husband going to get me because I done ordered some more Sister Tay cookies. I, but, I, you know, I'm just going to taste one. I'm going to give all the rest of them away. I'm going to bless somebody with them. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. It's a blessing for me not to eat them. Amen. So after recognizing that I had become a habitual quitter, it seems like a continuous cycle of starting and stopping and never finishing or following through with the goals I set for myself. Do I have any witnesses? Anybody ever set any goals? It don't have to be health and fitness. You set any goals and you started and you stopped and you started and you stopped and you quit and you quit and you quit? Amen. I can hold up both hands like uh, uh, Elder Ralph says, both hands, feet, and everything. Amen. So I started to pray and to seek on what God wanted to say today. All week, I was feeling really heavy after seeing so many people at the altar last week ready to give up. I started trying to feel, figure out why do people quit in the first place? I couldn't shake the feeling. I mean, it was such a heaviness on me. It had me like bound. You ever feel like it was almost like a state of depression? You ever felt so heavy that you just can't shake it? 
it, it, it was like Samson. I just couldn't shake myself. It wasn't going nowhere. And I realized that this heaviness wasn't natural. I realized that I was so heavy because the enemy was actually tormenting me. And probably many of you that came up here last week saying that you were ready to quit. How does he torment you? He make you feel like you defeated. You come up here, you know how the word, you, and you received it, and you come to the altar, and you say, okay, I ain't going to quit. And then I go back home, and only to do the same thing over again. Like the word just got choked up out of me. It, it seemed like it fell on good ground, but it fell on thorny ground. So he made me feel defeated all week because I recognized that I was a habitual quitter. This was another false identity. The false identity that tells me that I am defeated. That liar will make you feel like something is wrong with you. He will make you think that you aren't as close to God as you thought. Oh, you feel like giving up? You must not really be saved. You ain't as close to God as you think you are. If you was, you'll be able to shake yourself and get it off of you. But the heaviness continues to sit there and mount up on you. So as a Christian, I have a question. Is it okay or is it natural for me to feel like quitting? If so, why do we think that we should never feel like quitting? Is it because we believe the lies of the enemy? Because he starts speaking in our ears? Is that why we feel like it's not natural for us to, to have thoughts of quitting? Is it because we were told that true Christians who have placed their hope in Christ shouldn't feel this way? You know, the super holy people who don't tell you their real struggles, they seem like they got it all together. They ain't never wanted to give up, and they make you feel like you are less than a Christian because you feel some doubt sometimes. Is it because we were told by those same people that this feeling means we don't trust God enough? I've heard somebody say that before. You just really don't trust God. Or is it because we were told that we don't have enough faith if we think this way? Well, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I can quote the scripture. That don't mean I don't have faith because I go through moments of wanting to give up. So I started looking because the problem with this type of thinking is it completely contradicts what the word says. As I began to study, I was so encouraged to know that so many people in the Bible also wanted to quit. Yet because God was not done with them yet, they couldn't quit. So for those of you who feel that way from time to time, I just want you to tell yourself, God ain't done with me yet. So I can't quit. I ain't hear nobody. God ain't done with me yet. So I can't quit. God is not done with me yet. So I can't quit. So I want to tell you about a few of these people. Jonah wanted to give up. He was angry with God. Jonah didn't like the way the Ninevites acted. And so when God called him to bring a message to them, he ran from his assignment. After being corrected in a dramatic way, three days in the belly of a fish, Jonah delivered the message that God gave him to repent or they would be destroyed. 
The people of Nineveh chose to repent, and God relented. He didn't destroy them. Jonah complained to God that the entire exercise, what God had him doing, going through, talking to them, going through the well, he said it was a waste of his time. He pouted and he asked to quit life. He would rather have seen the Ninevites punished for their sins than forgiven. He would rather have died for what? Why, is it, why was it so bad that he would rather have died than to obey God because he didn't feel like they were going to listen or that they deserved another chance? Who are we to tell God that somebody don't deserve another chance? I mean, when I think about it, I can't tell you how many times he gave me chance after chance after chance after chance. But sometimes we're like Jonah. We want to give up when things don't go our way. That's basically what Jonah did. Because it didn't go his way, he wanted to give up. Give up on life. Give up on, on whatever it is that God had for him. The devil is a liar. So do we really want to quit when things don't go our way? I tell you what, I didn't did that before. I'm be honest. Maybe you haven't. But when it don't go my way, you know, that's selfishness. When things don't go your way and you just want to quit, well, just forget it then. I do that to my children. Just forget it, I'll do it myself. Because things didn't go my way. God used that opportunity, though, to teach Noah, I mean Jonah, a lesson about perspective. Because sometimes we just need a change of perspective. We need to look at things a different way. And he had to look at things from God's viewpoint instead of from his own. Really good. I read the whole book of Jonah. And, I, and I, for time's sake, I won't go back. But go back and read it and how God showed him a different viewpoint. How he gave him sh shade with the plant. And then he killed the plant. And then Jonah was upset. And, and, and he was showing him the same love that you have for this plant is the same love that I have for my people in Nineveh. Jeremiah, ex Jeremiah, sometimes like Jeremiah, we want to quit because we're called to do what we're called to do is hard. Mm -mm. I'm going to repeat that. Sometimes, just like Jeremiah, we're ready to quit because what we're called to do is hard. We want it easy. We live in such a fast-paced, fast-paced culture, everything instantly at our fingertips, that we're not really ready to suffer for anything or to wait for anything. But I know the scripture says, wait, I say, on the Lord. So he wanted it easy. And many of us, because things aren't easy, we're ready to give up. Oh, that's too much work. We don't want to work. I mean, the work ethic in today's society is not like it used to be. I'm just going to throw that out there. Because back in the day, and, and some people have a, a problem with that, but back in the day, they worked. They had careers. They, served, they worked. Daddy, how long did you work for the shipyard? Forty years. Forty. Come on and bless the Lord. Because some of us, after 40 days, we're ready to switch. Ain't heard God. Ain't allowing him to order our footsteps. I just don't like it, and I'm getting out of here. 
It's so funny. I saw a post on Facebook. I'm sure the person, they don't go here, so I'm sure they're probably not watching. But uh, I saw this post on Facebook. And the post had the nerve to say, the way these jobs struggling getting workers, it ain't none job in this world that can tell me I can't be on my phone while I'm at work. They talking about, I'll walk up out this mug and let them see what they can do. Because I'm going to use my phone anytime I want to. That sounds good and dandy. You grown and you can do it. But what happens when you want to build an empire, when God wants to use you to build a business? Some of you might not be able to build a business because your work ethic individually is so bad. And because that work ethic is so bad individually, God ain't going to put you in charge of nobody else. If you be faithful over a few things, God says then he'll make you rule over many. If you ain't faithful on your job, why he going to bless you to be somebody's boss? I tell you, I, if, if they can't tell, I can't work or talk on my phone. I quit. The devil is a lie. Jeremiah experienced this as a prophet. The people wouldn't listen. Jeremiah was delivering the message God wanted to be delivered, but he was tempted to stop because no one was responding. People aren't listening. It's hard. People ain't listening. Sometimes you're going to tell people the same thing. You're going to tell your children the same thing over and over again. Dirty clothes go in this bin, baby. They don't go on the floor. They don't go in the drawers. They don't go under your bed. They go right here in this bin. You're going to have to tell people the same thing over and over again. Sometimes your spouse may not get it. You might have to tell them more than one time in a loving way. But you can't quit and you can't give up because people don't want to do what you say or they haven't got it the first time because it seems too hard. Like it seems like you're not getting through. Because the thing is, God wanted to be delivered. Um, Jeremiah was delivering the message God wanted to be delivered, but he was tempted to stop because nobody was responding. So that makes me question whether or not Jeremiah was concerned about God's approval or man's approval. Because, see, when we're worried about what God says, if nobody responds, it don't make us feel bad. If we stand up here and we sing and we worship and we're singing as unto the Lord, if nobody stands up and lifts their hand, if nobody stands up and waves and worships, I obeyed you, God. I gave you 100. And I'm going to let you deal with them. So we need to stop seeking man's approval and start seeking the approval of God. He thought about quitting, but he said this in Jeremiah 20 and 9. But if I say, I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That's what Jeremiah said. He said that he, he wasn't going to even talk about God no more. He was going to act like he didn't even know God's word. I ain't going to do nothing God told me to do. I know you told me to do it, God, but I ain't going to do it no more. But he said like the word was like a fire shut up in his bones. He had to get it out. How many of you sometimes, you just got to get it out? 
God had warned Jeremiah that no one would listen to him. He told him from the beginning. Nobody ain't going to listen. I just want to see if you're going to be obedient. But although he knew it, the experience was still draining. You're going to experience, just like Jeremiah, discouragement in ministry. You're going to experience discouragement in your parenting. You're going to be experiencing discouragement when you invite somebody to church, you evangelizing and you telling people about, about God and they turn you down or they don't want to hear about your God. You're going to be experiencing discouragement in your discipleship, in raising your children, so many areas. But, um, and, and this discouragement will bring us to moments of wanting to quit, just like Jeremiah. The list can go on and on. So many great people who wanted to quit. Abraham. The friend of God, you know, we sing that song, we used to sing, I am a friend of God. He wanted to quit. Peter, the one who walked on water, he wanted to quit. Moses parted the Red Sea, he wanted to quit. Daniel, he wanted to quit. John the Baptist, who the Bible refers to by saying, I tell you the truth, of all who ever lived, None is greater than John the Baptist. There is no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist, only Jesus. So next to he, they compare John the Baptist to Jesus. It's Jesus, then John the Baptist. John the Baptist wanted to quit and even sent a runner to be sure that Jesus was the son of God. While he was in prison, he doubted himself and he, too, had a moment of uncertainty, which makes you want to quit. Elijah was a powerful prophet, and he wanted to quit. In 1 Kings chapter 18, the great prophet Elijah engaged in an exhausting spiritual battle with the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 2, in retaliation, Queen Jezebel threatened his life. She said, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life that of one of them. She threatened to kill him. She threatened to kill him like he had did. And he was exhausted. Elijah cried out for God to just take him from this life. He wanted to die. I'm like, dang, there's a lot of people who just say, well, God, just go ahead and take me out of here. Then I thought about it, and I don't said that before, too. Anybody else said that? Like, like, I ain't finna do nothing to myself. But I'm like, God, if you ready, you can come on and get me. Because these folks getting on my nerves. That's what he was like. Elijah exhausted, cried out for God to just take him from this life. He wanted to die. In, chapter, in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. 
I have had enough, Lord, he said, take my life. Elijah's story demonstrates God doesn't reject us in our weariest and most discouraging times. He was like, take me, Lord. I've had enough. But God still loved him. And God encouraged him. And he helped him to overcome this heaviness of wanting to quit. And I'm going to show you how. Elijah, one of the mightiest prophets in all history, was ready to throw in the towel. Barely a day after God had just used him so mighty. He wanted to quit. There aren't many people who had the faith of Elijah. And let Elijah himself had a moment where he wanted to quit. This proves that no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how close you are to Jesus, it is completely normal to hit seasons where you just don't feel like you can take it anymore. And you're ready to throw in the towel. I said it's normal to hit seasons where you don't feel like you can take it anymore and you're ready to throw in the towel. I didn't say it's normal to throw in the towel. I didn't say that God wants you to throw in the towel. I said it's normal to feel like that. That doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. You remember them folks that we talked about earlier? You know, the ones who don't make no mistakes, who got it all together, dot every I, cross every T. Since they've been saved, I've been saved, sanctified, Holy Ghost field all my life. Yeah, in front of people. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian or that you're not a true Christian. It doesn't mean you've done something wrong or it doesn't mean God is punishing you. Like Job when he was going through. That's what, that, that, that's what his friends thought. His friends thought God was punishing. You must have did something. You did something. I mean, this ain't just happening and you ain't did nothing. It means as we are going through life and because we are human, Sometimes there will be moments when we want to quit. When I thought about it, even Jesus himself experienced a moment like that in the garden. A moment of doubt, wanting to give up, wanting to quit. He asked three times saying, if it be possible, allow this bitter cup to pass from me. This cup of suffering, because see, he knew that if he drank that cup, he couldn't stop in the middle of it. He had to drink the whole cup in all of its entirety. And he knew that the suffering was going to be great if he drank of that cup. So in his moment of uncertainty, he asked, if it be possible, allow this bitter cup to pass from me. But I started thinking and I could see him standing there. And I could see him thinking about you and me. I could see him thinking about the overall outcome of him drinking of the cup. I could see him saying, because I want to redeem the people, I'm willing to take on this suffering. Because I want forgiveness for my people, I'm willing to take on the suffering. Because he thought about you and because he thought about me, he decided Although he had a moment of uncertainty, only a moment, he decided to take and drink of that bitter cup. The overall outcome of his suffering became worth it. And he said, nevertheless, 
not my will, but thy will be done. So the question then is not how to avoid the desire or the moments to quit. It's how to make it through the desire to quit. How do we keep going when everything in us is screaming, stop? You can't do this. You can give up. Give up now. Curse God and die. How do you do it? When you reach this point, you need to understand something very crucial. Relying on your own willpower is not enough. Because if you were strong enough to handle it, you wouldn't be thinking about quitting. You're not going to be strong enough to motivate yourself to keep going and not to quit. This is why you got to have wise counsel. This is why you got to have your inner circle. This is why you can't just have friends who agree with everything that you say. Because when you tell them, I want to quit, I want to give up, they be like, girl, me too. Girl, let's give up too. We can do it together. You know, like when you're trying to not eat sugar, and that friend be like, girl, one cookie ain't going to hurt, but I'm going to give y'all some of them cookies today. Come see me. Be that friend today. So I'll eat them all. Pastor looked up there on that seat. He said, why you order some more cookies? Because Pastor wasn't going to eat no cookie, y'all. You know, he's stronger than me when it comes to the sugar. You know, the, there's an old song, an old hymn that says, Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you. Some other to win. I didn't understand what that song was saying when I was a kid. And so it's a yield not to temptation. Don't give in to temptation. Because when you give in, that's when you sin. And it says each victory will help you. That means every time I say no, it gets easier to say no. So it's easy for him to say no to me. But last week, I gave like I had six cookies. I gave all of them. I only ate one. And there was one left in the box. And I was in there getting ready because we went to another service. And pastor came in and he broke that cookie. I made a video too. He don't like to be on video. He don't like to be on Facebook or nothing. And I made a video and he said, dang, this cookie good. He said, I ain't had a cookie that good at Crumble. He said, what she got in this thing? So I took a video of him because, again, he's, it's easier for him not to yield but, but for me. So I was talking about your inner circle. Let me get back on track. So you got to have a circle that can help you in the moments of temptation so you don't give in. It doesn't matter how strong you are or how tough you think you are. Given the right combination of factors, anybody can be brought to their knees and to surrender to life circumstances. Like, you know, you think you could be strong enough? Well, you know, me and my boo, we ain't married. Me and my boo, we can sit on the couch and watch Netflix and chill. I think I'm strong enough. I can handle it. So we laying on the couch, we watching Netflix and chilling. And then, you know, TV perverted these days. So next thing you know, here go a scene. And then the next thing you know, they coming a little closer. Because you thought you were strong enough to handle it. I came today to tell you, you are not strong enough to handle your flesh by yourself. You need God, the Holy Spirit, and some accountability partners. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, it tells us that his power is made perfect in weakness. 
When we admit that that we are weak and that we need him, that's when his power is made perfect. So if I can't do it within my own strength, how can I do it? God, how can I do it? I'm going to go back to the story of Elijah. He's the one that I really want to focus on. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 5 through 7, this is what Elijah did for, this is what God did for Elijah when he wanted to quit. And since he's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore, I take this as applicable to me. 1 Kings 19, 5 through 7. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Like it just appeared out of nowhere. He ate and drank and then he laid down again. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah fell asleep. God provided angels to bring him food and water, and then he went back to sleep and took a nap. When we fight spiritual battles, we can become fatigued, and this can lead to a stronger urge to quit. So, like, why did he tell him to get up and eat? What does that mean, and how can this relate to me? The first thing that God showed him was he challenged him to do was to get up and to eat. So what was that meaning? He was telling him simply, take care of yourself. So the first thing when you feel like giving up, you know when you feel like giving up or you're feeling down or you're feeling depressed, you just look like anything. You just go out the house all thrown away. You, you, you looking raggedy. Look like you don't know if you had a bath today or not. Ball cap on for the ladies, no makeup. You wear makeup every day. You go out looking raggedy, something might be going on. He challenged them to take care of ourselves because the first thing that we do we want to quit is we stop taking care of ourselves. We don't care how we look. We don't care. We don't care about nothing. So that's the first thing he challenged them to do. Now, this is the funny part. It's interesting after he immediately said he wanted to die that the Lord didn't tell him to go pray and read his Bible. Because, you know, that's what we'll tell people when they're going through. You just need to read your Bible. You just need to pray. And it ain't nothing wrong with reading your Bible. It ain't nothing wrong with praying. But what God told him to do, and I feel like he's telling or he told me and maybe telling you, you need to take care of yourself. I think it was David. When his son was dying, and he wasn't even, they, when, when, when the trial was over, what did he do? He got up, he washed his face, and he started taking care of himself. Because he knew if he stayed in that state too long, that state was going to have him. We need to remember the importance of taking care of ourselves when things get bad and we want to quit. That includes what Pastor talked about. Eating right, exercising, getting rest. Taking care of yourself is not retail therapy. See, it's quiet. It's quiet. 
But I already said it don't matter if you don't say nothing. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to ask God if I did my best. I'm not looking for the approval of man, but the approval of God. So I'm going to say it again. Taking care of yourself is not retail therapy. Because sometimes retail therapy can cause you more problems. Because you know you ain't got no money, no way. So why you out there running up them credit cards, charging all this stuff up, ordering all this stuff on Amazon, thinking that it's going to make you feel better? It might be temporary, but after a while, when that bill come, or when another bill come, or when the credit card bill come, and you ain't got the money to pay for it, you realize that retail therapy ain't really taking care of yourself. Binge eating junk food is not taking care of yourself. Binge eating and chilling and doing Netflix, it ain't taking care of yourself. What it, what it is is causing you to be more depleted the next day. Because the more sugar you eat, the tighter you are. The later you stay up watching TV, the tighter you are. The tighter you are, the less effective you are. The less effective you are, the more you want to quit and give up. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control whether we let ourselves go or take care of our body. So I'm going to say something real quick. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pause for a second. I saw Brother Shed yesterday because I'm talking about taking care of yourself. And, you know, you go out looking raggedy. So yesterday I was in Sam's and I uh, had on a headscarf. I had my head wrapped up and I was looking pretty raggedy. But I had been working an event on Nicey Icy. So, you know, you have to wear hairnets, you know, when you're working with food. So I ain't had no hairnet and then a hairnet ain't going to help me sweating and I ain't got no perm. I just got a flat iron and it's two weeks old. And I knew I had to preach, so I was trying to save a little bit of this straightness before I go get my hair done tomorrow. So I said, don't tell nobody you saw me up in Sam's with no headscarf on. You know when you're trying to just run in, I ain't telling you just running in somewhere. You know when you're trying to run in and you hope don't nobody see you, and that's when somebody going to see you every time. And then guess what he did? He had walked away, and then here comes Sister Shed, and I was telling her about it, and I was like, don't tell nobody. And she started laughing, and I turned around and looked, and there go Brush Shed taking a picture of me. So before he posted on Facebook, I already told on myself. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control whether we let ourselves go or whether we take care of ourselves. So yes, just like Pastor told us for the past six weeks, God is concerned about our physical body. God put us in a body to serve him. And when we fail to take care of our body, it limits our ab ability to serve him effectively. He talked about it. The poor. And how our, we, before, God was continuing to pour into us. But our bodies give out before we're finished doing what he poured into us. Taking care of yourself puts you in a position to take one step forward at a time. Refusing to care for ourselves, all it does is accelerate our desire to want to quit. The second thing that God challenged him to do after wanting to give up was to get in front of God, to get in God's face. 
It's interesting that in the process of wanting to quit, the Lord keeps asking him the same question. What are you doing here? The first time Elijah responds, the Lord responded like this. 1 Kings 19 and 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. For the Lord is about to pass by. The single most important thing we can do when we want to get in front of God is to get in his presence. After all, Psalm 16 and 11 tells us, in his presence is fullness of joy. And it's pretty hard to give up when you feel with joy. So why is, do you think that the enemy don't want you to get in his presence? Because he don't want you to be full of joy. Because he knows that when you're filled with joy, it's going to be pretty hard for you to give up. But when you feel defeated, you know, that false identity we talked about in the beginning, it's easy to give up. The problem is, that's the very thing our flesh seems to keep us from. Getting in the presence of the Lord when we're going through. In Elijah's case, he ran. In our case, we avoid church. We stay at home. We half watch it on TV. Why I say we half watch it? And I, hey, I, I'm grateful for the technology for when I need it. But technology is a supplement, not a substitute for gathering in his presence. It is a supplement when you need it to go back and listen again, to take notes, to get something. You know, you, every time you listen to something, you get something else out of it. So it's a supplement, not a substitute. We avoid church. We become busy doing nothing. We avoid true accountability. True accountability. Because we talked about that. You know, the people who agree with you, them ain't true accountability partners. Because a true accountability partner would be like I tell you, Africa, now, Africa, you wrong. You need to go ahead and go and apologize to Monte. Because you was wrong on that one. Just like I tell Monte, oh, you wrong. Oh, you going to do this. I act like I'm his mama. And he older than me. And we've been friends for like 30 years, 30-something years. And I act like I'm his mama. But I'm a true accountability partner. And it's time for the true accountability partners to step up. Because, see, I would rather tell you what's right and save your soul than to allow you to continue in a cycle of doing something that I know God doesn't want you to do and you fall by the wayside. So what else do we do? Elijah ran. We stop going to church. We become busy doing nothing. We avoid true accountability. And we try to numb the pain oftentimes turning back to the very thing that God had delivered us from. Backslide. Returning to our vomit. That's what we do when we're running. What happens when we get in front of God, when we seek his face, when we get in his presence? First, we can unload. God can handle it. He isn't afraid of our feelings, and he doesn't condemn us in our feelings. 1 Peter 5 and 7, Amplified says, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns upon him, because he cares for you. 
Psalms 55 and 22, cast your burden on the Lord. Release the weight of it. I talked about that weight earlier. And he will sustain you. He will never allow the consistency, consistently, he will never allow the righteous to be moved, to make you slip, to fail, or to fall. The second thing he does when we get in his presence is he gives us direction. Proverbs 3 and 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him. Get in his presence, seek his face, and he will direct your paths. So which leads me to the third thing that he helped that Elijah, that he showed Elijah. He challenged Elijah to go back. First Kings 19, 15, and 16, the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Mahola, to seek, succeed you as prophet. So wait a minute. He want to die. He ready to give up. I mean, here it is, right? I mean, it, it don't seem like it was no time between that when God told him, okay, get up and take care of yourself. Eat something, get some rest, because you need this strength for the journey. You ain't going to be able to handle it if you don't. Get in my presence, seek my face, unload everything that you're trying to carry that's too heavy for you, and I'll direct your paths and give you direction. So what he told him to do was go back and do what I told you to do before. I know it's heavy. I know it seems like you can't carry it. But your assignment ain't up. I called you to be a prophet, so get out there and do some profiting. I called you to be a worshiper, so get out there and worship. Usher my people into the presence of the Lord. I called you to be a teacher, so get out there and teach somebody about me. See, this is the problem. When we're going through, we don't want to do that. We want to sit down. Y'all ain't going to like me. Because this is a tough pill to swallow. Because when I'm going through, the first thing I want to do, pastor, first lady, I think I need to sit down. And there's a time and a season for it. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to talk about it. So don't, don't crucify me yet. When you sit down, you should be seeking God's face. You should be seeking God's presence. You should be taking care of yourself. But if you sit down and go back to your vomit, that ain't what God called you to do. So if all you're going to do is go back to your vomit, you might as well stay here, keep getting the word, get your butt up, and go back and do what I told you to do. Because if you're not going to go and get stronger, you might as well keep working. I mean, you might as well keep letting me use you. If you're going to go out there and let the devil use you, why not let me use you? So when we decide that we want to sit down, maybe God is challenging us to go back and do what I told you to do. He might not even be telling you to sit down. He might be challenging you to keep going. He might be challenging you, don't quit, don't give up, because he knows when you sit down, the devil going to pull you in. Because you're going to isolate yourself. 
you're going to turn back to their wicked ways. He knows when you sit down, you're not sitting down for him to pour into you. He knows that when you sit down, you're going to let the devil have his way. It's time out for sitting down. God has gifts and talents and everything on the inside of you. He's not pouring word into you every week for you to just sit down and get fat. I say it all the time. There's work to do. There is work to do in the kingdom. There is work to do in the body of Christ. There are 50 children in the back. There's work to do. The parking lot full. There's work to do. We got to find another parking space for you. There's work to do. Somebody came in here sad and depressed, and they just need you to smile, wave, and speak to them and greet them. There's work to do. I came in here heavy today. I just need you to usher me into worship. I need you to help me get into his presence. There's work to do. It's time to go back. Go back and do what God called you to do. Here's the thing. We don't want to do what God called us to do. We don't even want to do what we gifted to do. We just want to do what we want to do. Well, I don't like children. But I, but I don't like children. But you know you called to reach children. I might get, somebody might get mad at me right here, and I ain't talking about nobody. But I'm going to just use this as an example because I was a teacher. I, I deal with kids all day long. Then I got to come home and deal with mine. I don't want to fool with no kids, but you can fool with kids to get a paycheck, but you can't teach your kids so that they can grow up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I think every gift we have ought to be used naturally and spiritually. Every single gift. If he gifted you to be a teacher, he did it naturally and spiritually. When I was in the classroom, I was teaching naturally, but I was also sowing spiritual seeds into them babies. time to go back his directions for Elijah were just that simple go back and do what I called you to do in Elijah's case he had to he had a calling as a prophet so in the middle of wanting to quit it don't make no sense I'm reading the Bible it's in the word in the middle of wanting to quit to give up to die God challenged him to go and fulfill his duties as a prophet that's a tough pill. God calls on Elijah's life. God's call on Elijah's life had not changed just because his circumstances seemed too much to bear. Now, I emphasize the word seemed because it seems like it's too much for me to handle. It seems like it's too much for me to bear. But according to the word in 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to bear. God ain't going to put no more than you are able to bear. The devil just magnifies it so it seems like it's too much for me to handle. But we got to go back like Pastor said and meditate on the word and remind ourselves that God ain't going to put no more on me than I'm able to bear. He's going to always make a way of escape. So we had to go back because the desire to quit often leads us down the wrong path. When we run away 
as we want to quit, we actually step off the path God has for us. The way you get back to it is to go back to it. Go back to doing what God, what you know God wants you to do, what he called you to do. When you want to quit, the best thing we can do is go back and remember what God has given us responsibility of. If you don't really know, if you, the first thing you need to do is go back and redevelop your relationship with him. Because see, if your relationship with him is rocky, you ain't going to be effective in any of the other areas. If you know you ain't reading, if you know you ain't praying, if you know you ain't studying, if you know you ain't said nothing to him all week long, the first thing you need to do is go back and, 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 and build your relationship with him. If you married, what you going to do? You're going to go back and you're going to be a better wife. God has given you responsibility and roles as a wife, as a husband. If you're a mother or a father, you're going to go back. You're not going to give up on your children. You're going to find, you're going to get some resources. You're going to read some books. You're going to watch some videos. I mean, we can watch the football game. We can watch the basketball game. We can watch mess on TV. Y'all know I don't really watch TV, but I started watching a little TV, and I started watching this series the other day, and um, I started watching Greenleaf. I know it's old, but I got real sad when I watched it, the first few episodes because I was like, dang, is this how the world portrays the church? This is how they see us? Like the devil is a lie. You need to tell her, on, this ain't like my church. Somebody told <laughs> Somebody told me the other day, somebody said that they go to our church. And that person told them, uh-uh, you don't go to my church. Because, see, they know what they were doing and how they were living. She was like, don't tell nobody you go to my church. Mm -mm. You used to go to my church. But right now, you, you ain't been in like two years. You don't go to my church. Don't tell nobody that. Go back. Your responsibility of taking care of yourself. If you're a child, go back. God has given you a charge to honor your parents. So I was saying, go back and get some resources. If you don't know what to do, get some resources and learn how to do it. Ask somebody who appears to have a successful model on how to do it. If somebody's good with finances, ask them for help. If somebody's children are well-respectful and well-behaved, ask them for help. But the thing is, we don't really want no help. I was telling a story the other day. It was a little, it was a lady who used to live in my neighborhood, and uh, she had this little baby. And so my, my husband used to play with my kids when they were little, and he would bite them. You know, bite them, they bite them back. Bite them, they bite them back. Then he'd look at them, he'd say, bite your mama. And i look with that look, and they knew, mm-mm, I ain't bite mama, because I ain't play that. And they knew. So this lady, she knew I was a teacher, and I was off for the summer. She had this little baby that kept getting kicked out of daycares. And she called me. I didn't even know her for real. I really didn't. I didn't know her. I knew she lived down the street by five houses, but I didn't know her. I wouldn't let her watch my children. And uh, she said, my baby, I got to go to work, and my baby got kicked out of daycare for biting people. She was like, can you watch her? And I was like, well, I mean, how long? Because, you know, I like my summer. This was before I started summer camp. It was busy 24-7. <laughs> I was like, how long? She was like, I'm going to try to see if I can find another daycare, just maybe a couple weeks. And I said, okay, I'll watch you. She said, so, I said, but let me tell you something. I said, if I watch her, because see, you got to be willing to take somebody else's help. 
you, you, when you go to them, they tell you what you're doing wrong. You can't become defensive as a parent. You got to be ready to receive the correction. If I like the model you have, then I need to be willing to receive the correction or the direction that you give me. And so I said, I'm going to tell you something. If she bite me, I'm going to bite her back. Because that's how you break a biter. You bite them back. You got a child who hidden, you hit them back. I'm serious. Some of y'all can't handle that. Don't, don't ask me to keep your kids if they abide them. If they hit me, I'm going to hit them back. If they bite me, I'm going to bite them back. So she got a little nervous. I could see it in her face. So every day she would call me on her break. She's like, how's she doing? I don't even remember the child's name. I don't remember her name. I don't remember the baby name. I kept the baby for a couple weeks. She was pretty desperate. And uh, I... I said, she doing fine. She said, anything happened? I was like, no, ain't nothing happened. So a couple of days went by. She called me again. She said, how's she doing? I said, she doing good. She said, anything happened? She ain't did no biting. I said, yeah, she bit me. And uh, she said, what you do? I said, I bit her back. And she cried. And she said, is she okay? I said, yeah, she all right. She ain't bite me no more. I think I bit her two or three times. And after that third time, she learned how to stop biting folks. If you want somebody's advice, their wisdom, you have to be willing to take their correction and their direction. I'm learning that we can make serious progress when we go back and remember what God has called us to do in the first place. Yes, we may feel like quitting right now, which is why we need to redirect our focus off the outcomes and put it on the inputs, what we can handle. We can't control the outcome of any situation. That's up to God. But we can control our inputs. We can control what we do for ourselves, to ourselves, how we act and react, and whether we are being faithful to what God has said for us to do in the first place. It ain't going to be easy. Nah. You might mess up. You might do the same thing over and over again. But as time goes by, just like that song, Yielded Not to Temptation, every time you do it right, it gets easier and easier and easier. What it does do is it doesn't make it easier. It gives you a pathway to move forward when you follow these steps. When you get up and take care of yourself, when you get in the presence of the Lord and you go back and do what he called you to do. And it is in taking those next steps that we eventually make it through our season of wanting to quit. Because it's only seasonal. Doesn't make you a bad Christian. Doesn't make you not saved or not have faith. Doesn't mean that you don't know God or you don't love God or you don't hear from God. It just means you're going through a season. And the good thing about it is that you're going through. You don't have to give in. Wanting to quit is not something that you're just going to snap out of immediately. That's why I felt so heavy about God also dealing with me another week on talking about it because we just hinted at it last week. It's something we journey through. And as we take care of ourselves, get in front of God, and get back to doing the things that God has made us responsible for, 
then one step at a time, we can move forward. And eventually, we will get past the feeling of quitting and wanting to give up. I want to close by going back to the beginning, the false identity that we put on ourselves. Remember I said, as children, we learned the saying, winners never quit and quitters never win. And because of that saying, we put on a false identity that we're losers. Anytime we failed at something, anytime we gave up on something, that's a false identity. If you think like that, or if you have been thinking like that, you need to repent. It's just that simple. You need to ask God to forgive you for having a mindset of thinking that you're a failure, that you'll never get it right, that you're a loser. None of those things is what God calls you. You need to call yourself what God calls you. Just because something didn't work or failed the first time, it doesn't define you as a failure. Failure is defined as a lack of success or the inability to meet an expectation. The problem is that we can read too much into failure. We let it define us. Too often we tie it to our sense of self-worth because I didn't do something right or I failed at something, we tie it to our self-worth. We tie it to our self-esteem and our self-acceptance. The expectation that we fail to meet is often our own. One that we've created in our own head. Not even an expectation that God has of you. On the flip side, as I was reading some powerful quotes on failure and giving up. I found some that I want to share with you. You never fail until you stop trying. Albert Einstein. What this means is just because you're not immediately perfect at everything you do doesn't mean you are a failure. That's what YouTube for. Go on there and learn how to do it. I really hate to hear people say, I can't do it. I used to say it all the time, I can't do it. Can't shouldn't even be in our vocabulary as believers. I used to tell my husband, I can't do it, can you do it for me? And then I just started looking stuff up because he ain't had time to help me. So I just started looking it up on my own and I realized that I can do it. All I gotta do is put a little effort to it. It doesn't mean you're a failure. The only way you can ever truly fail is to stop trying because then you've given up on yourself now that's a dangerous place when you stop trying when you quit when you give up on yourself and when you stop believing in yourself that's when you'll never be able to accomplish anything so if you're at that point where you're just ready to give up on yourself or you've already given up on yourself I just ain't gonna never do it I remember when I first started teaching, and I've shared this with several people who have been taking tests recently. And um, when I first started teaching, we ain't had no money. We was broke because my husband was still in school. And um, we had Aisha, and uh, we had had Robert, and he had passed away. And um, 
I was teaching first year, and I started in the middle of the year, so I got my first check, and I was crying because I, I thought I was going to be making some money. I want to say my check for the whole month was like $1,400. I'm like, for the whole month? And so I kept taking this test to teach, to become a teacher, because I was going the alternate route. So I had to actually pass the test, although I was going the alternate route. They gave me an emergency license because I had a degree in math, so they needed somebody bad. But I still had a short amount of time to pass this test. So I took the test. And, and back then, they didn't give you the results right then. You had to wait in the mail for like two weeks, or you could call like the, that Monday. So we took the test on Saturday, and Monday you could call. And you call this number, and they say, pass or fail. And I called a number, and it said, fail. Now I'm crying, and I'm hurting. I've studied, you know, I'm discouraged, I'm ready to give up. But I'm even more so frustrated because I don't spend $200 we didn't have to take this test and then $35 to call and for them to tell me I failed. And then I took it again, failed. But it was a little bit better, increase. Took it again, failed. I had done a little bit better. There was some increase, some improvement. Took it again. Failed. I took it so many times they changed the test. Back then it used to be called the semi before it was called the praxis. And I had took the semi two times or three times and they got rid of that test. It was so hard. It was people teaching college math that couldn't pass that test. That was trying to come in and teach high school. And so, the fifth time I took the test, I passed it. I didn't give up. He said that the only time you fail is when you stop trying. I didn't stop trying. I didn't define myself as a failure. I didn't give up. And no matter what it is that you're doing or going through or trying, don't define yourself as a failure. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep trying. Keep going. Keep trying. Give some stuff away till you get it right. You might have to bake some cookies five times and give them away and let people honestly critique you before you get it right. You might have to do some free hairdos before you get it right. You might have to give away some makeup sessions until you get it right. You might mess up some shirts. Boy, I know I messed up some shirts when I first started making shirts. Until you get it right. Just don't quit. Don't give up. O'Brien said, it's better to try and fail than never to try at all. Robert the Bruce said, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, and try again. See, we only remember quitters never win and winners never quit. But we need to remember if at first you don't succeed, try, try, and try again. Failure is success in progress, said Albert Einstein. Do not be embarrassed by your failure. Learn from them and start again. 
Richard Branson. I like this one by Winston Churchill. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Success is not final. You might get to a place where you think you've arrived. Your business is doing good, everything is going good, and then it crashes. So you can't never stop learning and never stop trying to think that you've reached some level, some epitome, that, oh, I ain't got to practice no more. I ain't got to try no more. I could just do anything. Failure is not fatal. It ain't going to kill you. It gives you courage to continue. Failure gives us the opportunity to bounce back, to learn from our mistakes, and it helps us appreciate success. Failure can be frightening. However, as Winston Churchill reminded us, success is all about going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. There's only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, the fear of failure. In closing, I just want to encourage you. The whole conclusion of the matter is settled. You can't give up. You can't quit, no matter the reason. If you're like Jonah, and the reason you want to quit is because things aren't going your way, you can't quit. If you're like Jeremiah, and you want to quit because it seems like you aren't making a difference, keep going anyway. Remember, one plants, one waters, God brings the increase. It might seem like you're not making a difference in your children's lives. One plants, one waters, God brings the increase. If you're like Elijah and you want to quit because it seems like more than you can bear, don't quit. Remember that he'll never put more on you than you're able to bear. If you're like Jesus and for a moment you want to quit, because you stopped looking at the end result and you started focusing on yourself. Don't quit. God has given you that calling, that assignment for a particular reason. Do what God told Elijah to do. Take care of yourself. Get in God's presence and go back to doing what God has called you to do. No matter how hard we pray at times, it can feel like God is taking an eternity to show up and do something about our circumstance. In those moments, Satan wants to use our impatience to convince us and doubt us of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. He is faithful that promised. Whatever he said, he will bring it to pass. You just got to believe it. God reminds us in his word that he is with us and he has not forgotten us. Galatians 6 and 9, and let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Philippians 1 and 6, I am sure of this, that he who have begun a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 and 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Galatians 6 and 9, let us not become weary in well-doing, 
in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. James 1 and 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Joshua 1 and 5, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. There's so much power in that verse because since we know that God cannot lie, the Bible declares that God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should ever have to repent. If he said it, he'll do it. God is no respecter of person. He will do it for you just like he did it for somebody else. He will show no partiality among men and women in Acts 10 and 34. Just as he did it for Joshua and Moses, so will he do it for you. So will he do it for you. Because you're his child. This promise is not for the unsaved. This that he's faithful and just, that he'll never leave you. Nor for, this is for his children. So today, if you know that you're not in right relationship with God, and you want to partake of that promise, that he'll never leave me or forsake me, that he'll never, this is for his children. If today you want to make a decision, I just want you to stand on your feet. Don't worry about who's looking at you. Because, see, the word says that if you deny me before the Father, then I'll deny you. That's what Jesus said. And so we got to get past the point of being afraid. If you know right now you are not in right relationship with God, if you left this building today and you are unsure that heaven would be your home, stand to your feet. If you know that you're in a backslidden position, I, I, I believe that Jesus is Lord. I know that God raised him from the dead. But right now, I'm not in right fellowship. I'm not in right relationship with him. And I want him to come back to me. I'm inviting him to come in, to have free course, to clean up some things, to help me get rid of some things. Because I'm not in right fellowship with him. And I want to be. God, I want to get back to what you called me to do. I want to get back. I want to take care of myself. I want to get in your presence. I want to go back to what you called me to do. But this heaviness is too heavy on me right now. This burden is too heavy. I can't carry it. I need to give it to you. I need to cast it on you because 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, cast my cares upon you because you care for me. If that's you, stand up. Here's the thing. When God is moving, you have to move then. Once the spirit moves and the opportunity is gone, you got to wait till next time. But the problem is we don't know if there's going to be a next time. We don't know if we leave here today that we'll see tomorrow. There's an old song that I used to love to sing. Tomorrow. I'll give my life tomorrow. But the song says, but tomorrow very well might be too late so today 
make a decision to come back to God. Behold, he's standing at the door today and he's knocking. Invite him in. No one will be able to stand against you. Even if they take a stand against you, that promise is not just for today, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's for today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your days of your life when you make him Lord. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. God always hears us when we call on him. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he always knows what's best for us. If we trust him, even when we don't understand, we can begin to see where the Lord is working in our lives. His understanding is far greater than ours, and we have to trust that his timing is perfect. So again, I'm going to make another appeal. I'm assuming that everyone here is saved. I'm assuming that only the people who are standing are out of right fellowship with God. Those people, they know God, they've accepted him, but they've backslidden. Those are the only people. So my call, my next call is for those who are already saved. They're believers. They're in right fellowship with God. Yet you identify with the word today that you, you still feel like quitting. That you've put on some false identities. That you call yourself something that God doesn't call you. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. If you still feel like quitting today, whatever it is, on your health, wellness, on your marriage, on your children, your finances, your career, these dreams and goals and visions that you have, you're ready to quit. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask the intercessors to come. And I'm going to ask them to come up front really quickly. I'm going to ask all of the intercessors to come up front really quickly. And line up. I just want you to touch and agree that whatever they're praying, whatever that is that they're about to give up on, that you just touch and agree with them today that they won't give up, that they'll do just like Elijah and follow the steps that God gave him. Come forward if you need prayer at this time. Come forward. Worship team. Father, we love you and we thank you as they're preparing. I pray now in Jesus' name for the people that are coming forth at the altar. Whether they're coming forth because they know they're not saved or whether they're in a backslidden position or simply because they're ready to give up on some things. They've put a false identity upon themselves. I pray now in the name of Jesus for these people that you would touch them, that you would heal them, that you would comfort them. You are faithful and you are just. Thank you, Jesus. If you're at your seat, 
Talk to the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you need him. Father, we love you on today. God, we know that it's because of you that we live, that we move, and that we have our very being. Without you, God, we know that we are simply nothing. Help us, oh God, as time moves forward, when we go home today, don't allow the word to be uprooted or plucked out of our hearts. Let this word today fall on good ground and produce fruit in each and every one of your people's lives, in their hearts and in their minds. We stand in agreement with them that it's already done. Let's worship him.